Good morning, Overlake. Looks like you're still chattering about all the things you're thankful for. That's good. Uh, I'm Pat. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. And uh, it's pretty crazy to actually think that Thanksgiving is only four days away. Uh, where did 2014 go? That is like blowing my mind. Uh, but, but Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. It is one of my favorite. I, I love walking by like a local school or park and seeing all the amateur football, like turkey bowls going on, those football games between neighborhood kids or families. Uh, as a kid, one of my favorite memories, and, and I think I still participate this uh, time to time, was actually seeing how many times as I'm kind of cutting through the kitchen throughout the day and stuff, I could sneak into the fridge and shoot a little bit of whipped cream in my mouth. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's just so good. We didn't have whipped cream that often. So when it was in the house, I couldn't wait till, till dinner. Um, and, and so whipped cream. And then my other, one of my other favorite things, in addition to football and uh, go, go Hawks Thursday night, um, is actually the cranberry jelly stuff. I don't even know the correct term for it. Anybody else like the cranberry jelly stuff? Uh, okay, a few more in first service. That's interesting. But uh, uh, cranberry jelly stuff is like my favorite. I have such a craving for it. And what I like is it's the gift that keeps on giving. And so if you've never done this, please try this at least once on me. Just this is my idea. And, and I'm sure millions do this and somehow I think it's only me. But take like the most gluten enriched bread you can find, like Wonder Bread. Go buy a thing of Wonder Bread for 99 cents. Take that, throw some cold turkey leftovers on it, throw some of that cranberry jelly stuff and then just, just freedom with the, the mayonnaise. Just, just a little cheat day. I don't know why. That stuff is like cracked to me. It's so good. I just love it. And so Thanksgiving, such a good day to actually, like, like Pastor Mike said, to actually pause and actually think about all the things we should be grateful for. And I don't know if you realize this yet or not, or if you've heard this fact, but it was actually Abraham Lincoln that instituted that we should set this day apart, the last Thursday of every November, and really celebrate uh, a day of abundance, of God's goodness to us. And so I'd actually love to read a portion of that proclamation for you, um, but I'd like to make sure we, we get in the full mode. So No Shave November meets Abraham Lincoln. Here we go. All right. Here we go, Overlake. These are Abraham Lincoln's words from October 3rd, 1863. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And that's just a portion of it. It really is such a great speech that you guys should Google and, or Bing, sorry, uh, and, and read online. But it is so valuable that we do take time and just rest, that we enjoy the presence of family and with friends, and that we do actually pause and just say, thank you, God, for all the different things that are, that, that are in my life and realize the vast abundance that we've been blessed with. And it's crazy to me. I don't think you can find two more days in juxtaposition to each other than Thanksgiving Thursday and Black Friday. <laughs> they have completely different value sets and mindsets altogether. Black Friday is a day where I better beat you to the store and get in line because only the first 50 people are going to get that deal. 
And so it is cutthroat. It's about road rage. I've seen people just like the strategy people come up with, you know, it takes three people to field a full team. You need a driver, you need the runner to go get the thing. And then someone else cut line and then that person meets this person. And then, just, you know, whatever, like it's crazy. Like the mindset is scarcity driven. It's deadline driven. It's debt driven. It is crazy. It has nothing to do with family. It has everything to do with just all the stuff that's piling up on wish lists and just getting it done. And it's crazy, the trajectory of the value sets. You look at Thursday versus Friday, it seems like Friday's kind of winning. I mean, you look how many stores are open now on Thanksgiving, and, and it's quite sad. I mean, you just look at, it's not just a day anymore of shopping, it's the gateway to not just even a season, but just an entire year filled with materialism and, and consuming things and, and possessing possessions. And so what I want to do is actually share just a simple message. Just a very simple message, but I don't think it's easy per se as far as applying. And so I think we're going to need to pray and ask God's courage uh, to fill us up to, to really apply this to life. But the, the title of this morning's message, if you haven't seen it already on your notes, is called Pilgrims and Leftovers. Pilgrims and Leftovers. And so you can, if, if you'd like to follow along using notes and writing things down, go for it. It's in your handout. Things will be on the screen. But before we get to the core passage of scripture that I want to reference, I want everyone in here, every man, woman, and child to, to put on this, this hat, so to speak, to put on this lens, and let's all pretend that we are pilgrims. Let's all pretend that we are sojourning, that we are foreigners, that we're coming, uh, we're, we're citizens of another land or, or kingdom, and we're coming to 21st century America for the very first time. And, and we're curious to actually see, well, what are the places of worship in this society, in this culture? What, what is the religion? What are the religious practices and rituals that these people engage with? And I wonder if we would come across a place where we see that it's surrounded with just acres of parking stalls or parking garages, concrete, just that are able to, to house thousands of cars. And I wonder if we would uh, see that and, and then actually see that there's hundreds of people that come to this place on a daily basis. Uh, some, some days, and maybe they're religious days, thousands flock here and there's lines out the door. There's a season, it seems, where it's just unending, nonstop. Cars are piling in and people find their way into this temple. And in this temple, there's no, there's no windows that show you kind of the ugliness of like car lots. The only windows are above you and they allow this natural, beautiful light to kind of cascade in and, and fill this expansive place with just a beautiful atmosphere. And, and you walk in and you see this map and all the little chapels that you can visit and it's two layers. I mean, it's just intense. You got, you got chapels that are all about clothing and some that are about electronics, some about food and, and some about jewelry. And, and as you're walking through this temple, you realize there's these three-dimensional uh, idols that are, that are have, or wearing these like, outfits, like almost broadcasting. This is what you want. Come in here. Partake of this. And so maybe we, maybe we walk into one of those chapels and, and we're greeted by a priest, someone who's knowledgeable about all their holy objects in there, but, but they're wise enough, some, some are wise enough, to give you a little bit of distance, to not ruin the adventure for you, to allow you to go to what the natives call the racks. And, and you flip through, and, and, and it's just this, this little liturgy of finding just the right thing or things. 
and then taking them. And at the consummation of worship, you take it to the altar where there's a, a priest standing there. And there's a transaction that takes place. You don't just get to leave with that stuff until you've made a sacrifice, until you've left something valuable. And then the priest bids you farewell and says, come back soon. We'll have new things next week, new things to partake in. Wow. Maybe, maybe we're not supposed to pretend we're pilgrims. And what I'd love to, to, to draw our attention to is this verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, where it says, Beloved, speaking to the church, to the brothers and the sisters that, that, that make up uh, Christ's church, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. In the, in the NLT, it says this. It says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will actually see your honorable behavior. And they will give glory, or they will give honor to God when he judges the world. You see, being a pilgrim, it doesn't mean being completely disengaged and completely uninvolved in which the culture you live in. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that you view yourself as better than others. It actually doesn't mean that at all. It would mean that we are to be involved. We are to be engaged. We are to actually love and to serve our neighbors as Christ has and does. That, that we're supposed to be that bridge that, that showcases to them maybe a new value set. The value set of a, of a kingdom that, that, that maybe isn't in play right here on the east side. And so what I want to do is actually think of this question right here. What are the values of the place that we are citizens of? What are the mindsets of our homeland? What are the attitudes of the kingdom that we represent? And where I'd love to go to, to this morning's teaching is actually a story that I think many have heard. And it shows up in each of the gospels. And, and what it is, is it's been called, and I think it's a misnomer, I think it has been sadly misnamed, it's been called the feeding of the 5,000. It really was a Thanksgiving feast for more than 5,000. That just counted the guys. Uh, it's probably too hard to count all the children running around, you know, and stuff like that. I don't know, but there's probably closer to 15 and 20,000 people. And so let's look at Mark's account of what happens here on this day. It says, starting in verse 13, chapter 14 of Matthew, it says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a, a desolate place by himself. Here's the news Jesus just heard. He heard that his bro, uh, Pastor Mike mentioned his name, John the Baptist, uh, a close, a dear friend to him in ministry, actually a cousin, was actually murdered, killed, literally beheaded. His head was served on a platter. That he just hears this news. And so Jesus needs some alone time to just grieve, to process, to bawl his eyes out, to wail. And so that's what he does is he gets away, he gets on a boat and he leaves where he is. And then it says, but when the crowds heard it, they hear Jesus is on the move. They followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. People hear that Jesus is coming into this area that they may be able to make it to if they walk. And so not just 50s and 100s show up, thousands. Close 15, 20,000 people show up on this hillside. And here's Jesus. And I know my response would be, if I'm, if I'm in a state of like, I need some alone time, I think I would just like, no, leave me alone. 
on, you freaks, you know, go back home. Nothing to see here. Get my boat, leave again, set up the out of office. I don't know. Like, Jesus responds far different than I would have. So he sees these crowds and he has compassion. That word compassion actually means to suffer with. Here's Jesus suffering himself, and yet he still has this empathetic spirit of saying, guys, I see your needs. And John says that he looked at them and saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Here's people that need someone to care for them, to love them, to guide them, to teach them. And now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. I don't know why, but I picture this being Peter. And he's going to Jesus, who is God, let's not forget, and he's stating the obvious. Jesus, hey, late in the day, uh, it's getting dark out, which means it's getting late, and uh, people are hungry, so you should tell them to leave and just go into the towns and, and you know, buy some food. Like, it's just funny to me that, 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 that they are telling Jesus what to do and how to organize things, and so Jesus actually responds in this way. How's this for a challenge? But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Oh, there's a bit of a challenge, a little leadership issue here, and some are starting to crunch the numbers and realize man, it'd take like half a year's wages just to feed these people. And I'm not even sure there'd be enough for like everyone to even be full. But, uh, but we don't have half a year's wages. And, um, and, and so they said to him, here's how they respond to Jesus. We have only five loaves here and two fish. And Jesus says, bring them, bring them to me. They say, well, what we do have is actually this young boy that we saw kind of walking by with the sack lunch. Hey, little kid, come, come eat Jesus. Whoop. Hey, here's what we got. Five loaves of bread and two fish. And here's what Jesus does. It says, then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And when it says sit down, the, the term there that's actually used is to recline. Jesus actually tells them in the Greek to let, let recline. And what that would mean in this culture is that get ready to feast. You only Recline if you're getting ready to fill your tummy, if you're getting ready to, to indulge yourself in a, in a lot of food. And so he's telling people, hey, relax. We're going to be here a moment. And, 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 and one of the gospels, it says they broke them into groups of 50s and 100s, people kind of getting to know each other a little bit. And, and, and here's what happens after they're sitting, reclining on the grass. He takes the five loaves and two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They begin to, 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 to participate in this miracle of feeding these thousands of people that are out on the grass. In verse 20, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. It's leftovers. And those who ate were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Maybe one value that we, we really quickly went over is actually compassion. Maybe, maybe people wouldn't have been fed unless it would have first begun with some compassion. Maybe that's a value in the kingdom in which we're pilgrims of. Another one, maybe, maybe another uh, value in the kingdom is provision. That there's, there's not just enough to go around, but there's actually more than enough. There's abundance in, in, in this kingdom. It doesn't need to be run by deadlines and scarcity and debt. That there's actually more than enough. And, and, and what we need to ask ourselves is really this. Over like, who are the hungry around us? What are, what are our communities hungering for? What are our neighbors longing for? 
I just came up with a list of things that people that I've talked to that hunger for these things. I've met people on the east side who are hungry for food, warmth, shelter, and safety. I've met people who are hungry and in need of an authentic friendship. I've met people who are hungry and yearning to be pain-free. I've met people who are hungry and desiring to be healed. I've met people who are hungry, literally starving for freedom from addiction. I've met people who are hungry and in the pursuit of purpose and meaning in life. And I've met people who are hungry, starving, and dying just to belong, just to be loved. Mother Teresa said it so well. She said, Calcuttas are everywhere. If only we have eyes to see. Find your Calcutta. That is what Blessing My City is all about as we use that language throughout these next two years. So I would suggest maybe there's just three things we apply together that we stack hands on and we move forward with in this season of the year. Three things from this passage that I think if we live them out, if we live out these values, could meet these hunger pains in our communities, on the east side, in this region. So much so that I think there would be leftovers, actually. Point one, if you want to fill this in, get the right answer, bring Jesus what you have. Start there. Just bring Jesus what you have. What if we're a little better at just submitting the things that are, that are uh, in our possession to Jesus? What if we're uh, a little better just submitting those things to him, trusting him with those things? And I think before you can get there, you actually have to start with an awareness factor. First, you've got to realize, well, what do I have? Because it's amazing what we have that we don't even realize. We've been so conditioned to think about everything that we don't have or we want or we desire and we have wish lists. And yet, have we ever cataloged how much stuff we actually have? It is, it is astonishing. I, I actually remember uh, uh, being a Boy Scout growing up. They taught us this. Uh, fellow Scouts in the room, you've probably heard this before. One of the first things... One of the first things they tell you to do if you're lost, you get broken away from the group on a hiking expedition, uh, you're going to the bathroom and everyone took off and it's, oh, you know, that moment of I'm going to die out here. And, uh, uh, but what they say is instead of freaking out and flipping out and throwing your shoes and cussing and thinking about, oh, what am I going to do? You know, my mom makes all my food and I don't have anything, you know, like instead of freaking out, they say, sit down, collect your thoughts, take a few deep breaths. And then actually take inventory of everything you have on you. Look in your pockets. Look in your backpack. Realize the abundance that you even have in that moment because it will help you to get creative and resourceful and it'll actually fill you with hope is which what you need if you're going to survive. It is so sad that we don't take inventory of what we have until we're in survival mode. I... I challenge you, and I'm, I'm actually doing this right now, and it's going to take me a lot longer than I realized. What if we wrote down everything we have before we created any wish lists? What if we realized, what if we literally cataloged everything before we asked for anything? Man, it's, it, and I mean everything. I mean not just your car, your home, smartphone. I mean like how many pairs of socks, undies, tube of toothpaste, silverware. I mean, what if we realized the abundance that our lives are filled with? We are inundated with messages of everything that we don't have, that we've been conditioned to think that way. Let me share with you a quote from a prominent banker in the 1920s. This man worked for Lehman Brothers back, back when it was still around, kind of bankrupt and the whole, anyways. Lehman Brothers, this man, Paul Mazur, said this, and it's amazing how prophetic he was, sadly. 
Listen to these words. We must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire and to want new things even before the old have been entirely consumed. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. Whoo! Paul, you nailed it, bro. Sadly, that's kind of where we're at. So what do you have? What do you have? I know everyone in here has something that fits in these three categories. Time. I don't know how much of it you actually have left. I don't know how much time I have left, but with what I have, am I willing to bring that to Jesus? Five people up here said, you know what? All the time I got, Jesus is yours. I'm giving you my whole life. Second thing, talent. Your personality, who you are, what you're good at, the things that, that just come easily to you, that you're proficient in, skills. Are you willing to bring those things to Jesus? Submit those to him, see how he could use those. And then the last one, treasure. What possessions do you have? What income do you have? What, are, what land and stocks and, uh, I don't know, maybe just a car. Or, well, I don't know what it all is, but what if you brought those to Jesus and you're beginning to get creative with the ways that he can use even those things? But time, talent, treasure. Bring what you have to Jesus. And first, I'm, like I said, I think we got to take time to be aware of all that we have. Second thing in your notes, if you want to fill us in, sticking with the B word theme, Say a blessing for what you have. It says right here, Matthew chapter 14, verse 19, and what we just read, it says, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Jesus, God himself, actually said thank you. That word blessing literally means thank you. It means thanksgiving. In John, in John's account, chapter 6, verse 11, it says, Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks. So maybe alongside compassion, maybe gratitude, thankfulness is another value set in our kingdom that we should begin to bear, that we should begin to walk into and lean into. Jesus didn't hold up the loaves and the fish and start complaining, saying, man, really, Dad, I got like 20,000 hungry people. This is it. Just a couple barley loaves. No one likes barley anymore. Did you know? Everyone's on paleo. I mean, like, it's gluten-free now. And fish? These are trout. What's the deal? People like salmon and halibut and, I don't know, cod sometimes, but not trout. Like, how often are we finding ourselves just complaining instead of saying, man, thank you for what I'm holding in my hands right now. And Jesus did that. He probably said a blessing not just for the food, but I bet maybe in that moment he's like, man, God, thank you so much for these 12 friends, even Judas, that I'm going through a tough time right now hearing the news about John the Baptist, but I have some community around me. Thank you so much for the crowds that came here today. Thank you so much for the, the healings that happened this morning. Thank you so much for the teaching that just came out of my, my mouth as we were talking about the kingdom of God. And that's what he was talking about. Luke says that. I'm sure he just went on, a, on just a litany of thank yous. And yet we find ourselves saying like, oh, I don't need to say thank you. I'm thankful in my heart. Thankful in my heart. Thankful down, down where it matters. I'm thankful. I'm thankful in my heart. I just, I just don't have to say it. That reminds me of like the wife that comes to the husband and says, I haven't heard you say I love you since we got married. And he's like, yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's just it. I told you I love you when we got married. And if it changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> that ain't going to work, gentlemen. Let me tell you, I love my wife. So I show my wife. I text my wife. I call my wife. I touch. I do a lot. Like I, I, I show them. I'm, I'm a thankful guy. Let's just put it that way. We'll stop there. 
But you know what? I will actually say this. Being thankful is part of God's will for your life. And that's not just me speaking. That is straight out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you've been in that state of, man, I wonder what God's will is for my life. I wonder what God's will is for my life. Does that cloud mean something? What about that car just moved? Oh, you know, here it is. Three things, God's will for your life. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Oh, there's some values right there. Rejoicing, praying, being thankful, giving thanks. And lastly, third fill-in. If we are to meet the hunger pains in our society where we live, we're going to have to break and give what we have. Jesus just didn't sit there with five loaves of bread and two fish and say, thank you so much. This is so great how you just have given me bread and fish, Lord, and just did that for, for a week. People would have starved and started eating each other. He had to move to a place of action. So Thanksgiving's great, but then you got to break and you got to give. Generosity is key. It's a key value in the kingdom in which we are pilgrims of. And so not only are we supposed to bring to Jesus and, and say a blessing for what we have, but we're also supposed to, to break it and to give it. You know, what, you know what the theological term is for what Jesus did in that moment? Starts with an S, six letters. He shared. He shared. I've heard it said so many times, sharing is caring. And, and we condition our kids and teach our kids. And then as they get older, it's like, well, sharing is kind of optional. I mean, if you can afford it, it's all yours. And uh, don't, I mean, feel weird if you ever ask anyone for anything. Because that just means you're super needy. No! We are supposed to be good at sharing. Everyone in here, not just all the kids down the hallway or the students. Us too. Let's role model it. Jesus did. Let's go after this. Let's be, let's be generous. And what I would say is that generosity is at the heart of God. Look at this verse. Maybe you've heard it before. Check this out. It says in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. One person knows the answer, and it's even up there. He gave. <laughs> Let's try it again. Overlake. For God so loved the world that he gave. gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Talk about generosity. Oh, man, we have been given so much. For us to share the little that we have in our little domains is really nothing at all. And who did Jesus give this broken bread to? His distribution network. Twelve guys. It says he broke it, gave it to the disciples. He says, you know what? You leave the heavy lifting up to me. I will do the miracle. And I'm sure I would have been like, how are you doing that miracle? How are you breaking that bread? I got to do that at home. You know what I mean? Like, he's doing it. He's doing this. He's breaking the bread. And I don't know how you break fish. You know, whatever. He's breaking the bread, breaking the fish. And he's saying, hey, Philip, you take this basket to that group of 50. Hey, Peter, quit eating. Now go take it to the group of 100 back there. And, and he's just saying, be obedient to take this where I'm leading you. But there's a lot of hungry people out there, and you just leave the heavy lifting up to me. There'll be enough to go around. Actually, there'll be more than enough to go around, and I'll prove it to you because there'll be 12 basketfuls that you'll be holding at the time you're all done. And so Jesus role models partnership in ministry, but we are the distribution network over Lake. 
His church is the way that the hunger pains in, in, in this world will be stilled and quieted if we are bold enough to believe him for it. But it requires that we bring and we bless and we break. I'm talking uh, just this last week. Here's things that came up on, on my radar. I talked to a handful of life groups that they took meals to these homeless shelters that, that are these winter shelters or tent cities in the area. Just doing what they can to feed doing what they can to feed. Uh, talked with another young couple who's actually helping out uh, a single mom, two-year-old kid, and they say, hey, on your days off, we can watch your son. I mean, you don't have to pay us. I mean, daycare out there is so incredibly expensive. It's probably not even worth it to you. And we just would love to spend time with your kid. Just blessing, using their time. Heard of another overlay couple that bought this person a Tesla. Totally made that up, not a Tesla. <laughs> You guys are like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Bought this person a car that works. Nothing super special. Wasn't a Tesla. Wasn't a Beamer. But just something that could get this person from point A to point B. Because that person had no hope of, of ever being able to get around and be able to find a job and, and get a place of employment. They helped them out. And when I think of a miracle of feeding thousands, there's something that just comes to mind from a trip I was on back in 2012, spring 2012. Uh, probably the trip that wrecked my life more than anything else. Went to Kenya and got to visit and went actually with a few students from, from uh, the student ministries and, and we went to Kenya and we were visiting our partners there. Overlake does a great work in Kenya. Um, it, and I just have to do a plug. If you haven't been on a short-term missions trip, sign up for one. To, like, take a risk. It will, it will change your life. And we go, we go to Kenya, and we're meeting our partners there. And our partners there, they're doing a great work of really ministering to street kids. And so here's boys and girls that have kind of wandered outside of these villages and towns in hopes of things being better in the city. And what happens is they end up on the streets. They get addicted to glue because they get hungry, so it kind of quiets their hunger pains. And, and then they're walking around essentially like zombies, just waiting to get hit by a bus. And so we have, a, we have partners in, in Kenya that they're not only ministering to those that are finding themselves in that predicament, but they're actually saying, what if we could prevent this? What if we figure out the ways in which it's, it's uh, like, let's figure out the problems that are causing kids to come into the cities and let's, let's keep them at their home. And so things like educating parents on, on domestic violence isn't a good thing. Things like clean water. Overlake's helped drill a couple dozen wells. And, and, and then the third thing that I got to witness that, that goes right in line with this is, is there's a, a, a church leader named Bishop Amos, and he got in touch with this agriculturalist that understands the, the native seeds of, of Kenya. And what happened about 40, 50 years ago is that the government of Kenya told all the farmers, hey, we got these great hybrid seeds. You buy them from us. They have a great yield. You'll thank us for it. All the farmers, they, they get rigged into this fixed system, buy these hybrid seeds, plant them. Government's like, oh, I uh, forgot to tell you. And you got to buy the fertilizer, too, to help these things grow. So you have poor farmers going and buying fertilizer and then having to get these seeds to grow. And then at the end of the crop, they say, oh, and these don't regerminate. So actually, come back next year. We'll have more seeds for you and more fertilizer. So there are people literally starving. There is a lack. There is scarcity of food resources in these communities. And so people just give up and wander. These young boys and girls wander into the cities. 
Well, through this distribution network called the local church at Kenya, these pastors that are working together under the leadership of Bishop Amos, that's him on the left, uh, they are planting these, these, these native seeds. And it was so cool to go onto his property and see they were already 18 inches off the ground while everyone else is just getting their soil ready for the year. These, 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 these produce better crops. They, they regerminate, which is huge. They actually, I mean, just everything about it is beautiful. And then they're able to share these seeds with other people in their community so that they now get out of the system of, of oppression and that they now have a food source that's continual and abundant. And it's as if Jesus is saying, hey, you, you leave to me the science of how a seed grows if you just can share them. And thousands of people are actually being ministered to by these farms and by these wells. But it requires, it requires that the church is bringing and blessing and breaking and giving. And so what if we went after this in this season and choose to live as pilgrims with this new mindset, with these values, with values like compassion and gratitude and generosity? And so what I wanted to do, I... I, I, I I just couldn't help but kind of get back in the mode of a proclamation. And so I actually want to read to you a hundred words, a proclamation for all of us to participate in in this season. And for the full effect, let me put this back on. And the title is this, The Overlake Proclamation of Pilgrims and Leftovers. I do therefore invite my fellow Overlakers to enter into this season of the year as pilgrims of the kingdom of God. May your lives exude the values of compassion, gratitude, and generosity, joyfully bringing your time, talent, and treasure to Jesus, pausing often to give thanks to our Heavenly Father, willingly breaking your lives and sharing them with your family, friends, coworkers, classmates, and neighbors, just as Christ broke and gave his life to you. And may the bounty that your lives bring be more than this world knows what to do with. So much more that there's leftovers. Let's pray. God, I just want the first words to be out of my mouth uh, to simply be thank you. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for, for the leadership of, of Pastor Mike and others. Thank you for uh, moments where we can come and we can worship. Thank you for, for the beautiful baptisms earlier. Thank you for, thank you for these moments of, of discovering your truth and allowing it to set us free. And now I ask, I ask that you would fill us with a boldness to live this out. As simple as it is, it is not easy for us to live counterculturally. So by your spirit, would you help us? Would you embolden us and, and help us to be pilgrims, to showcase the beauty of your kingdom, to live into these values? We love you so much. Your name, amen. Amen.